Persecution is a funny thing, right? Because nobody really wants it to come to them, but it does something. Persecution absolutely does something. And what it does is it weeds out. Because here's the truth. I'm not going to get beat for something I don't really believe in. Come on. I'm not going to argue over the color of this chair with you. I'm not going to get beat for that because it doesn't matter to me. What does matter is that Jesus is Lord. He is the way, the truth, and the life. That is the center part of my life. That I will take a beating for. My name is Richard Witter. I pastor Life Point Church here in Homestead, Florida. I have a beautiful wife, Janet. Her real name is Zhang Zhao Jin. We call her Janet Witter and a daughter who's 17 years older named Grace. Pastor, what's the testimony that you would like to share with us today? I'll share uh, briefly about my past because I think it's important about who I am. It's all preparation, right, that we go through. Um, I was raised in a pastoral home. My dad has been a pastor my whole life. He's still my pastor, mm. and I, I love that. And, but it wasn't always a love for that. In fact, there was some contention in me for a long time with it. I didn't understand it. I didn't understand calling or vocational ministry. Um, I'm thankful for it now. I just didn't understand it then. So, you know, having a dad who was literally preaching the day I was born, he preached at, at a church and then came to the hospital and I was born later and has been in church my whole life. Really, really, people say it, cut, cut your teeth on the pews. I've slept under pews. I've slept on pews. I've been beat in the pews, <laughs> spanked in the pews. Uh, all of that is, is wonderful. And so, I, again, I didn't understand that and I certainly couldn't uh, put together why I had the responsibility of my father's calling. Again, I understand all that now, uh, being a pastor myself and having a child who is a, a real pastor's kid and the struggles that she's had to go, it actually helped me unpack that with her. But I had to, I had to figure this thing out on my own because my calling is not my dad's calling. It's not the same, right? And, it, and it, I had to settle into Jeremiah 29, 13, that if you will seek me with your whole heart, you will find me. Come on. Uh, as I began to do that later on in life, to seek God with my whole heart, what I didn't find was my dad's calling or his chosenness or his purpose. What I found was mine. And that became such a beautiful thing for me. So what that looked like really is me going through church, graduating high school and going and, you know, kind of heading out into to college and thinking like, man, I'm going to, I'm going to go in the business world. Not that I didn't love God or his purpose or plan for my life. I just didn't have it all yet. He didn't, he hadn't revealed to me exactly what I needed or I hadn't surrendered to, to the call yet one way or the other. But I, I went to college, a uh, Christian liberal arts school in Tennessee, and I got a business administration degree first. And I thought that was it. And I was like, Hey, I'm going to go in the business world. We need people in the marketplace too, serving Jesus. And I always loved God and, and loved, you know, what he had for me. I just thought it was millions of dollars. <laughs> and so I know that is not to be the case now. And that's fine. We settle into that, but it wasn't until my senior year that something happened and, and some tragedies happened around me actually four weekends in a row. I won't go into those details, but I was literally getting ready to graduate and these tragedies happened four weekends in a row. And every weekend I call my dad in tears saying, Hey, you know, what, what's, what's happening, dad? I mean, really, really terrible stuff around me that was happening. People were dying and it was scary and I didn't understand. And my dad was there as a true shepherd as he was, not just my dad, but as my pastor to say, Hey, God's speaking to you. He's, he's calling you. When will you surrender? And I didn't know how to, how to 
just rectify everything, all these years that I had put into studying business and everything, but I knew that I had to surrender to the call. So after the fourth tragedy, I remember I was in, in my bedroom and I just got down on my, my knees. I didn't even have a shirt on. I remember that. I just got down on my knees and I, and really white flag surrender. It wasn't like this moment at an altar where I said, you know, oh, I just want to serve you, Lord. It was like, okay, I surrender to your call. I'm like, don't send anything else my way. And so I just let it go and received what he had for me. Um, there were some things that had to unpack for that. It wasn't just everything shifted. I had plans to, to go to work after that. A few days later, I called my uncle in Minnesota and I said, hey, I just need some guidance. And he said, come live. When you graduate, come live with me. And so we did. We went and we lived. Uh, I, I just moved into his basement, stayed there for 18 months, and he just directed. He just directed me towards Jesus. And it was a beautiful thing. He never pounded me and said, you need to do this. You need to do that. There was none of that. He just showed me the love of Jesus with some, you know, some advice, some prayers, some things that I needed. He knew exactly what I needed. Very much used by God. Um I had a corporate job while I was living there and the money was decent. I would say actually it was pretty good, but I was miserable. I was miserable. Even though I was serving in the, the youth group and helping out as a youth leader and one of my good friends who was the youth pastor there, we, we were working together and it was a wonderful time, but I was miserable in the corporate world. So what God spoke to me and said, I want you to go do this with this guy who laid stone for a living at the church. Great Christian man. So I left this corporate job making good money to go lay stone in Minnesota in the freezing cold, which was miserable. Um, but it was one of the most enriching times and building times I've ever had in my life. So I, I spent about a year with him doing that during this 18 month process with my aunt and uncle. And he, he just, again, he was just there with me. We listened to Christian music and I'd listen. And it was one of those months that I served at a camp and I was a counselor for some boys, it was a Christian camp. And it was a particularly awesome night. And it was a great altar moment. And I was supposed to be praying for the kids, but I ended up <laughs> finding myself off to the corner, just praying to God for myself. And it was at that moment, at that altar in Wisconsin, we had traveled across the border uh, from Minnesota to Wisconsin to this camp. And it was at that moment that God called me to the mission field. I didn't even know what that meant. Uh, my dad had been in like 49 countries on missions. So I, I, I could understand the process of, hey, we're going to go to Guatemala or we're going to go to Mexico or you know, Honduras and do missions work and paint some buildings or something. But I knew it was more than that. I knew it was more intense than that. So what happened was I ended up just sitting on that. Going like, well, what do I do with that, right? What do you do with this calling? Like you're called to, to the mission field. Okay, so I just kind of sat with it. Well, a well-known Christian artist, he wasn't well-known then. He happened to come in town to some friends of ours that attended the church. He actually used to live with them. I won't mention his name just because, uh, but he came into town and they knew I listened to his music and they said, hey, why don't you come over and, and have dinner? He's going to be in town and I think it'd be great. Well, we sat down to dinner. I don't even know if he would remember this. I remember because it impacted my life. Uh, but we were sitting there and it was, it was cold outside. It was snowing. I don't think it was a blizzard, but it felt like a blizzard in Minnesota. It was probably just standard winter weather in Minnesota. But he, I, I took about two bites of food. 
beautiful plated food, a lot of people there. And he looks all the way across the table and he says, Hey, let's go for a ride. And I was like, okay. Um, like, do you want to eat first? He's like, no, let's go right now. So we, we jumped in his, his forerunner and we just began to drive. And I still remember the snow heading towards the windshield. And he just asked me the question, like, what are you doing? And so what do you mean? Uh, he said, no, God's called you the mission field and you're just sitting here. And I said, you're right. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. I guess waiting for further instruction. And it was that conversation. And then we, we drove around a little bit and talked a little bit and it spurred me to begin looking. And he left, you know, the next day and I began the, the real push and okay, God, what does this mean? What am I supposed to do? I started applying for some things and ended up looking into the Peace Corps, had a great conversation with my dad. My dad said, listen, the Peace Corps is a great organization. It's fine. It helps people. But humanitarian aid without the injection of the gospel is lost. Mm. You can mm. feed people sandwiches and food, but if you don't feed their spirits, they're just lost. And it always stuck with me. So I put that to the side and started looking for some more Christian organizations, looked at Mercy Ship, which is a ship that travels around from port to port and does ministry in different places and some different organizations. I almost signed a contract to go to Malawi, Africa for two years. It was a great organization and they, it actually would have put my business degree to use and um, you know gospel presentation all together because they were getting a lot of humanitarian aid, but they weren't spending it correctly. They didn't know how to budget it. So they would get a lot of money and spend it and waste it in some cases. So I was going to help with that. And it wasn't until my dad linked up with my friend, Dr. Hong Yong, who was one of my mentors. And my dad asked me to pick up Dr. Hong at Minneapolis St. Paul Airport and drive him to Grand Rapids, Minnesota, and to share um, this ride with him. It's about three and a half hours. And to just really just get him up there so he could speak. So I said, sure, I'll pick him up. As I'm driving, this little Chinese man is speaking so much truth, so much wisdom, so much life and hope and strength in my life. This was before I had, uh, there were no iPhones, there were no anything like that. It was, I think I had like a Nokia phone or something. And so I didn't have a notepad. I was literally taking on physical paper while I was driving up north in Minnesota. I'm taking notes. This guy's speaking into my life. So I spent the weekend there. He spoke at my dad's church. I drove him back down. He spoke again into my life. And he said, why don't you come to China with me? I want to take you to China. So let's do it. So a couple of months later, you know, I, I'm in China with this man, Dr. Hong Yang and his wife, Esther. Now, be before you go there, yes, was there any hesitations the fact that it's China, I mean, can you even just speak on that for people who don't know about sure. what it means to go to China as a Christian? Sure. Uh, there's a lot of like, you know, understanding of what China is, some misconceptions, obviously. My dad had been to China already six times with Dr. Hong. Mm. So it wasn't like this incredible thing that I, I felt threatened by it. For those mm. who don't know, um, it is a persecuted country. Uh, I think those waves of persecution vary depending on the year, depending on the president, depending on the local government, how the day is, the climate. could be anything that could throw those things. It's not illegal to be a Christian in China. It's illegal to do Christian things. Uh, so it's not, it's not illegal to believe in God. It's just illegal to do anything with that. So I can't proselytize. I can't share. You can't gather together. You can't pass out Bibles, distribute anything that would be considered attempting to overthrow the government. Mm. So for me, I wasn't, 
you know, super concerned about it. Now, when I did travel, um, Dr. Hong said, I need you to, if you're going to come, I need you to, to bring 20 Bibles. I need you to gift wrap them and put them in your suitcase. That concerned me a little bit. <laughs> and people, people think they want to do something illegal for Jesus until they have to do it. And then, so that happened. We got through, it wasn't a problem. We got the Bibles distributed, but that, that trip set me on a course. I, I, I can, I can still feel, I can still feel that moment there. Part of it was jet lag, you know, spending those 13 days in, in Beijing and some of the surrounding areas. But, but the biggest part of it, I think was God's voice was so big and loud. I didn't hear the audible voice of God, but I just felt the Holy spirit speaking so loud we were staying in a hotel there. Again, I won't mention any names because there's a lot of Christian brothers and sisters involved there. But the, the hotel we were staying at, I had the, the business card and I just took it because it had the address on it. Now, I, I couldn't read or speak Chinese at this time. I'm just there visiting on a 13-day mission trip. But I took that card. I knew that if I got lost, I could show them this address and get back. So I jumped in a taxi. This is probably five or six days into the trip. And I just go over to Tiananmen Square. Uh, everybody knows Tiananmen Square from the the riots and all those things, but um, I wasn't going there for that. I just was just looking for some alone time with God, and I got it. And so I sat there, partly jet lagged, partly listening to this big booming voice of God, and sitting there roughly at two or three o'clock in the morning. And God essentially just said to me, "You're coming back here." And I essentially said back to him. I don't know what that means. <laughs> like, how, how do you do that? How do you pick up everything and move literally across the world on the other side of the globe? It's like this Xi'an, China, where I moved and where I was, was literally like this. It could not have been more opposite. And so I didn't know how to do that. I heard the voice of God. I went home and I just began to talk to, talk to Dr. Hong again. And he began to mentor me and started sending some emails and and my understanding of China and understanding that it's illegal to proselytize and to tell people about Jesus and to, to minister in the ways that we know that I knew it was going to be a challenge. So I knew I needed to get a teaching English visa or some kind of visa working. That was a means to an end to be in the country to do that. So skip forward. Um, we did that. And four months later, I moved to China, sold my truck, sold most of my belongings. I left two trunks of stuff at my parents' house. And I moved to China thinking that I'm going to go over here for one year on a one-year contract with the university there teaching English as a means to an end to share the gospel with people. And God just moved in such mighty, mighty ways, crazy ways. Uh, I was there about four, five, six weeks before I realized I'm going to be here a while. This isn't a one-year process. And so I just began to settle. I began to change the way I was doing ministry. It was pretty gung-ho at first. We were baptizing a lot of college students in the bathtubs and a lot of ministry. And God spoke to me pretty clearly and said, you need to, you need to dial it back just a little bit because I want to use you here for a while. Mm. And that is, even caused some tension with some other missionaries that I had linked up with. They were very much like, hey, we need to have church in our dorm at 1030 because that's the way the Americans do it. <laughs> and I said, I think we should change this up a little bit. No, 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 no. It's kind of weird when like 25 kids are marching up here at 1030 on Sunday and uh, we're having service. And so I, I actually split with them, not, not anger, no frustration, just the, the Lord was leading me. 
And it was just a couple months later that they were removed from China. Their visas were revoked and they were removed and I was able to stay. So that's kind of the expedited process of how I got to China where I was anchored. I I did end up staying there four and a half years. Um, I met my wife there. I was not looking for a wife at all. Uh, In fact, I was, that was the opposite of what I was looking for. I think so many times in life, it's it's when we stop trying to drive something that it happens. Like I'm just gonna shoehorn this in there and go for it. And she, uh, besides the gift of salvation, uh, she's my greatest gift in life. She's my my true helpmate, my true partner in ministry. She's a great pastor and friend, my best friend. Uh, I mentioned you know, my daughter Grace. Um, I named her Grace because that's what what I've been given in my life over and over again. And this this whole missions aspect, you know. What I didn't understand till till later, I always thought we we went on mission trips, and what I understand now is that our life is a is a mission trip. It's it's all missions all the time. It's all Jesus all the time. Church isn't Sundays. It's all church all the time. Mm-hmm. And if we can resolve to just live like that and believe like that, it'll become less about hey, let me hop on a plane and fly for hours and hours and hours to get to the other side of the world to share Jesus, but that we will literally begin to share Jesus all the time and that every moment is just this perfect opportunity. And our preparedness met with the opportunity God always injects himself into, and it becomes so beautiful when he does. I'm so thrilled that I've been able to take those experiences um, in China and apply them everything's it's all preparation all the time right everything yeah. that we do is in preparation for the next season we don't always understand the walking or the leaving like when god told abraham to start walking uh we don't read a lot about his questions i'm sure he had questions but we know he walked in obedience and god showed him things but every step along the way he was equipping his tool belt his spiritual tool belt with the tools necessary for the next season of life that happened with me as i look back Every time my dad put me on stage, made me sing a song in church, made me memorize verses, made me speak to the church, made me greet the older folks, made me help in the children's ministry, made me carry chairs. All of that was preparation uh, for the next season and that season on to the next season up until now. Everything that I've been through in my life has prepared me for this moment. And this moment is a mission field mm. right here in Homestead, Florida. Beautiful thing about South Florida is I don't have to travel the world to share the gospel. God brought the world here. Mm. So if I want to go to Hialeah, eat Cuban food and share with the Cubans or go down and get tacos or um, our our administrative assistant here at the church is full-blooded Navajo from out west in the United States, uh, doesn't matter. God brought the world here. So it's so important to be able to understand that. I, I can't wait for the next moment where I get to share Jesus. And, you know, maybe I can just encourage a, a few people on here who are listening. One, thanks for listening. And, and two, is like your life matters. Your words matter. How you drive matters. How you shop matters. How you walk matters. How you hold your chin up high, not in an arrogant way, but in a confidence in the Holy Spirit way. That matters. All of this matters. And it's all preparing you and your preparedness meets the opportunity that God gives us and God injects himself, like I said, just a minute ago. So I'd say, get used to it. Get used to it. Because the the more you do it, the more it happens. And and God's God's just using people who are willing to be used. And I think in this next season, 
the hurting, the loss. They're not just in China. They're not just in Pakistan or India. They're all around us. The people who are isolated. And so if we begin to answer the call, God's call on our life, his purpose for and plan for our life, then it's going to be beautiful. Mm. It may not be perfect in the way that we think it is, but it'll be perfect in the way that he plans it. And I know we have plans. I know we want to, you know, lay these things out, but it is God who orders our steps. He will make known to us the path of life. And it's when he makes it known to us, it's up to us to walk it. Yeah. Pastor, when you think about your six years in six years, right? In China? Four and a half years. Four and a half years. When you think about your four and a half years in China, and uh, when you think back of it and the powerful move of God out there, what are some just highlight moments? If you could just kind of list them of some of the things that you saw or experienced out there. I think there's so many like great moments of conversations with people. You know, I can think back and, and just meeting with people, you know, in different provinces who, you know, they'll have the luxury of, of going to an air conditioned building. Um, some of my, some of my friends have been beat for the gospel. Um, one of my friends actually renounced his faith wow. and I don't know exactly what to do with that. I try not to think about it too much because who am I to judge? Uh, you know, he walks with a limp to this day wow. because of uh, his, his, his leg is paralyzed. So who am I to, to judge for that? Um, but I think that the shaping, the miraculous part of it for me is just the shaping and the allowing that God allowed me to be there. That to, it won't impact anybody listening like it impacted me. Yeah. But to, to hear these stories and then to, to watch them lived out. Persecution is a funny thing, right? Because nobody really wants it to come to them, but it does something. Persecution absolutely does something. And what it does is it weeds out. Because here's the truth. I'm not going to get beat for something I don't really believe in. Come on. I'm not going to argue over the color of this chair with you. I'm not going to get beat for that because it doesn't matter to me. What does matter is that Jesus is Lord. He is the way, the truth, and the life. That is the center part of my life. That I will take a beating for. But persecution gets people to that point because they're actually living it out from day to day. And I, not only will I not take a beating for something I don't believe in, I'm certainly not going to let my family take a beating for something I don't really believe in. So the, to watch the church actually welcome persecution is a pretty intense thing. So it shapes the way they, they pray, the way they move, the way they evangelize. And it's a very intense thing. So to, to step back and watch this happen, I'll tell you a quick story. I mean, come back and experiencing culture shock. Because when you spend four and a half years praying with people, you, you, you pray like them. If you hang around people, you, you, you speak the same verbiage and language, right? And have the same mannerisms. That's just how we are as people. We adapt. But I remember praying things like I heard the Chinese Christians pray. It was very easy to say. And it became just words falling out of my mouth. And some of those words were, use me or kill me. And I ended up just kind of picking that up. And I, th- I thought I meant it until we moved back to the United States. And a, a really good friend of mine was at his ordination service. We were fresh back from China. And he, he was being ordained. And that night at his ordination celebration, his eight-year-old son choked to death. And I had listened to the, the, the Chinese people pray, use me or kill me. Or if you need my family, you can take them, God. But that night, I remember stepping back and saying, God, I don't understand. And that night, I quit praying 
take my family if you need them. I stopped praying that because I wasn't sure that I actually meet it. And I wanted to mean it if I prayed it. And mm. so those those kind of things that are shaping you and molding you into something. Um, we live a pretty easy life here in the United States. I'm thankful for it. Um, sitting in a church building now, I'm not afraid that somebody's going to kick in the door and take me away and beat me or take my family. It's pretty easy. So I, I would hope that I would be even more aggressive in my preaching and teaching and proselytizing and grabbing people and shaking them and saying, this is it, right? The message is Jesus. It's always been Jesus. It's still Jesus. Um, it was Jesus when I didn't understand it as a, as a little kid um, being forced to go to church all the time. It was Jesus uh, as the message when I was a teenager and knuckleheaded. And it was a, it was a, a message when I was trying to go into the Peace Corps. And it was, he was the message when I was in China. And guess what? He's still the message. Cool. He's still the way. He's still the truth. He's still the light. There's no other way. And so that's only being cured in my life. And now having to the responsibility of raising a daughter who's half Asian, by the way. <laughs> so she gets to experience something incredible. Uh, Dave Gibbons writes a little bit about it in some stuff. It's, it's, it's called Third Culture, Third Space. And Miami is a great, a great place for that, right? Because my daughter example, so she has part Chinese and she's got part American. So very often she might be eating uh, scrambled eggs with chopsticks and there's just a, a fusion of cultures there. But the church is a great example of this as well. We have the church building that we operate in. And if we're not careful, we will just stay in this building and then we have the community around us. If we're not careful, they'll stay there. And a lot of those people would never come to the building to get Jesus. And so we have to bring Jesus to them. So where does that happen? I think it happens in a lot of third place, a lot of third cultures, such as gyms and gas stations mm. and clubs, sewing clubs, chess clubs, singing clubs, whatever. Um, we have to intersect with culture to show them Jesus. That's how missions comes alive in our context today. Hmm. Pastor, any last words for the people who are tuning in, watching your testimony right now? Yeah, again, I just want to encourage you, just open your mouth. Um, you know, it helps before you open your mouth about Jesus if you're having uh, been praying <laughs> and reading the Word of God. I, it's, I don't think it's some great coincidence that every time I read the Word of God in the morning, what I read comes out later in the day in conversation to people. That's not like the world's greatest coincidence. That's how God designed it. He designed his word to be used. There's authority in it. So read your Bible, pray every day. When I was a kid, we sang a song just like that. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you will grow, 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 right? If you're not growing, you're dying. So make sure that you're feeding your soul. Um, again, you've heard me say this a couple times. When you are prepared, opportunity will come your way. And when your preparedness meets opportunity, Jesus will be injected and he will get the glory.